This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well... Crazy world. It, it, 2020, man, it will go down in history of all the different things that just seem to go wrong or crazy or whatever. It just makes you want to lose your mind. We we are creatures of habit. We, we need consistency in our lives. And we've had anything but consistency this entire year. It's been, oh man, unbelievable. But there is one thing that we can count on, and that is that God is consistent. Jesus is the same today and tomorrow forever. Yesterday, I'm paraphrasing from Hebrews 13, but that is a great passage. Look it up. Go read Hebrews 13. You'll find it there. And if you're in your car, I'll I'll, uh, read these things to you, but if you're home and you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading from a a lengthy passage, kind of lengthy, Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22 here, just a little bit. But I want to start with this story. It's about an Italian composer named Petro Mascani. He was uh, once real irritated. He's a famous composer. He was irritated by this organ grinder. This guy stood outside the composer's apartment playing uh, Mascani's own composition, but he was only playing it at half the correct speed. And eventually, when Mascani could no longer stand hearing his own composition being butchered in such a way as that, he went out to the street and he corrected the organ grinder. He said, I am Mascani. Let me show you how to play my music correctly. So he took the handle of the, the hurdy-gurdy, you know, that it's got the little box and the little hand crank. It's got that stringed instrument that produces the sound by the hand crank turning the wheel. <coughs> Excuse me. And so he started pushing on that, the tempo faster, and uh, real hard, and it, that way we hit the, the speed that it was supposed to be. So the next day, Mascani again heard the organ grinder. Now, he was playing it correctly, and he made him smile. He looked out the window, and you know what he saw? He saw that organ grinder with a note that said, Pupil of Mascani. <laughs> Pupil of Viscani. Anyone, the, the point here is that anybody can claim to be a pupil or a disciple of a master without actually being one, right? We know that. But true dis- disciples, they can be spotted by their similarities. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Last week, uh, in a series, I I think I I did it on here too, we talked about, I am a disciple of Jesus. Uh, And in that lesson, it helped us to ask the question, am I a disciple of Jesus? And answer that. We explored the idea that when someone is a disciple of Jesus, it means that Jesus is the core, he is the center 
of their lives. That Jesus is the Savior and he is their Lord, okay? And as we continue to explore what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I want us to explore the call of discipleship. So today, I want us to look at uh, uh, and work toward answering these two questions. Here they are, these two questions. What is the call of discipleship? And what does it mean to answer that call? All right. So let's start by reading our passage of Matthew, or Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And this is the, the calling of the first disciples. Here's what the Bible says. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, let me take a quick drink of my water. You know, we read this passage and, and sometimes uh, people wonder if this was the, the first time these men had seen or heard or had contact with Jesus. But we can determine from other scripture that this was not the first time, nor was it the, the first extent of contact that they had with Jesus. Over in Luke chapter 5, that's a parallel passage of Matthew, uh, Jesus got into Simon's boat and made him put out into deep water to do some additional fishing, even though Simon had fished all night and had caught nothing. Even though Simon didn't want to, he obeyed Jesus' instruction, which resulted in, if you may remember, that huge catch. It required uh, the help of the other fishing partners to drag the, the net in. They couldn't even get it into the boat. They had to drag the net up to the shore. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were, were part of that. In John chapter 1, prior to Jesus calling them to be fishers of men, Simon's brother, as Peter's brother, Andrew, was a disciple of John the baptizer and was uh, with John just after Jesus' baptism. So he was there when John the baptizer identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. So this was before the, you know, when he called them to be his disciples. We know that happened after the baptism of Jesus. So Andrew, immediately at the point when John the baptizer pointed out Jesus, pursued him, pursued Jesus, and spent time with him, and went and found his brother Simon Peter, remember that, and said, we have found the Messiah. And he took Peter to meet Jesus. So quite a few times they've already met with Jesus and heard from him. So, as I've said, Scripture reveals that when Jesus invited them to follow him, it was not their first encounter with Jesus. They'd already heard from him. They already met with him. And I believe Jesus' invitation to those fishermen that day can help you and me understand what it means for all of us to answer the call to be a disciple of Jesus. So, let's spend a little time. We're going to break down this calling 
into three aspects of discipleship. And these are revealed in that call that Jesus gave them that day. Here's the first one, the obvious one that we all know so well. The first part of calling of discipleship is follow me. Follow me. Now, from Jesus' perspective, a disciple is a person who follows him. Okay? Follow. That's pretty simple. In his day, in the day of Jesus, it was a huge deal, big deal, to be a disciple of a rabbi. A rabbi is a teacher. And I'm sure Peter and Andrew, James and John, they had to have been very honored that a rabbi like Jesus would have asked them, to follow him. Do you know why? Because they were lowly fishermen. No rabbi would ever call these guys. No way. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And although they knew a little bit about Jesus that day and when he called them, they were about to spend the next three years learning all about him, including his position, his power, and his teachings. And like them, like them to be disciples of Jesus, we too need to recognize and we need to accept who Jesus is, right? And we must place ourselves under his authority. He's the teacher. We're not above him. He's the teacher. When Jesus called them to follow him, they understood. They understood that being a disciple means to be uh, positioned behind the leader. The positions and the lines of authority are fixed. They're fixed. Jesus leads, we follow. John chapter 12, verse 26. Here's how Jesus put it. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I love that passage in John 12, 26. Love that. You know why? Because of what Jesus says. Where I am, there my servant will be also. How often do we think, or maybe we've heard people say, Yes, wherever I go, Jesus is there with me. Okay, I understand what they're trying to say. But we need to keep the perspective always that where he is, that's where we ought to be. Because if we were really his disciples, we follow him. And so we should ask ourselves, for example, on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday nights when there's services, if you're online or if you get to meet in the building, uh, then... If you got to ask yourself, if you're wanting to go out to a baseball game or you want to go do this or to go do that, you need to ask, where would Jesus go? If Jesus know, knew that disciples were meeting on this day at this particular time with other disciples, should I, should I go there too? Well, that's where Jesus is going to be. And if you're his disciple, you follow him. He said, where I am there, my servant will be also. In other words, if you're not my servant, then you're not going to be there. And if you're not there, you're not my disciple. Think about that. As we come to understand who Jesus is and what he expects, we have to decide whether to follow him or not. A lot of folks like the idea of Jesus being their Savior, but I don't, they don't really want him to be their Lord. He cannot be one without the other. Jesus is who he is, and we must accept him as he is and follow him if we want to be his disciples. So, the first aspect of answering the call to discipleship is understanding and submitting ourselves to follow Jesus. 
A disciple is a person who's following him. We might describe this as an initial and an ongoing decision at the level of our minds. And in our minds, we know who Jesus is. We accept him as our head, our authority, our leader, and our master. Here's a great illustration of this idea. It's the idea of military marching. I was in the army. I remember going to basic training. You know, the very what's the very first skill you learn? You, you already know what I'm going to say. The very first skill you learn in the army is how to walk. Now, that, that may seem ridiculous. Before you learn how to fire a weapon or dig a foxhole or survive in combat, the first thing you must learn is, sorry about my phone, is marching. Is nothing more than walking a certain way. That's the first thing you need to learn. And there's three distinct attributes to marching. Number one, there is one person who is setting the rhythm and everyone else keeps step with him. That would be Jesus. Number two, there is perfect uniformity. Eyes straight ahead, right? Shoulders back. Every foot hitting the ground at the same time. And then number three, Those who are marching are all headed in the same direction. The direction given by the one calling the cadence. And everyone follows those directions simultaneously. If you ever get the chance to watch a a good group, a platoon or or maybe just a squad or whomever, marching, boy, it's beautiful. It's all inspiring. It is a great thing to see them going across the parade field, especially when they move to the left or to the right, all in step, walking with dignity and pride, singing out the cadence in perfect harmony. It's great. Jesus calls out the cadence, right? And we, his disciples, march according to his direction. So the first thing we understand about the call of discipleship is that disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. The second part of the calling of discipleship is, I will make you. And it stops there, okay? I I know we know the full part, I will make you fishers of them, but it starts with, I will make you. That's the next part. And this really clarifies the truth that a disciple of Jesus is someone who is being changed by Jesus. When Jesus invited Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his followers, he was also revealing his intentions to them. He intended to change them. He intended to make them into something new, to shape them into people who would be able to carry out his mission. John 15, 1-12, he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Being disciples of Jesus means (coughs) means that a pruning process needs to take place. We don't begin as disciples with the ability to produce all the fruit that God desires, but over the course of time, through God's work and our cooperation, good fruit results. Just think about all the changes that God needed to bring about in the lives of of that group of 12 men, right? What kind of man was Peter? He was impetuous, right? I mean, man, he he opened up his mouth, stuck his foot in it too many times. Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. 
James and John, impatient, the sons of thunder. Boy, did they change. And through the course of this discipling process, Jesus, Jesus excuse me, was going to shape these men into a group who was able to be Christ's representatives in the world. He was going to teach them and empower them to be like him. Jesus was going to shape their beliefs. Their, that's their head. Their attitudes, that's their heart. And their actions, that's their hands. So that they could be the messengers of the good news to a lost and dying world. Man, that goal of transformation is God's intention for all the disciples of Jesus. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God's desire is to have many, many sons and daughters who are conformed into the image of his son. He wants to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And so a disciple is someone whom Jesus is changing and shaping so that we can help uh, to lead others to God's saving and changing power. To be a disciple of Jesus, we must follow Jesus and submit ourselves to his changing power at work in us, uh, uh, shaping our hearts, uh, shaping our character, making, uh, making us more effective for the final aspect of of the call of discipleship for the final aspect. And you want to hear it? Here it is, number three. The third part, the final aspect of the call of discipleship is becoming fishers of men. Those first four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, had been fishers of fish, but their new mission was to be fishers of men. The cause and the mission of disciples of Jesus is people. When we are following Jesus, when we are being transformed into his likeness, then we can't help but care about what God cares about, which is the salvation of people. As you know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's Luke 19.10. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10.45. He told the crowd in John 8.24 that if they didn't believe, that he was who he was, God's only son, the Messiah, then they would die in their sins. This is the ultimate truth that disciples of Jesus know and understand and are compelled by. If people do not come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then they are lost for eternity. Paul clearly communicated this truth to the Corinthians in his second letter to them. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11. He said, or he writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciousness. Paul reaches, and later on in verse 17, the, the crescendo at the end of chapter 5 there, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you um, do you sense the conviction, the urgency of Paul? All of us who are disciples of Jesus should have the same conviction, the same urgency about the lost and the salvation that God is holding out to them. We are his ambassadors, and Jesus intends to make us into fishers of men. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We follow him. We are changed by him and are committed to carrying out his mission to save the lost. This reality should affect everything about us. The way we think, uh, the, the, the way we pray, the way we spend our time and our money, everything. We understand and believe that there are only two categories of people. There are the saved and then there are the unsaved. We don't judge. We don't condemn. Rather, we love and we reach out. We long to see unbelievers be reconciled to God through Jesus, and we partner with Jesus in his mission to save them. As disciples of Jesus, we make available to him, to Jesus, our whole selves, our whole lives, our head, our heart, our hands, our gifts, our abilities, our time, our attention, and our love. All that we have really truly belongs to him, does it not? He he owns it all. He created everything, therefore it's all his. And he has blessed us with these things, whatever it might be. Whatever talents you have, those are blessings from God. You may have nurtured those and grew in those, but he gave it to you. He gave you that brain. He gave you the ability to breathe and to think and to speak. He gave you all these things. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with all these blessings that God gave you? So let's review what we've learned today. Let's ask ourselves how well we have answered the call of discipleship in our own lives. Number one, we need to ask, am I following Jesus? Am I actively surrendering my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior? Am I living in a way that Jesus is clearly the head of my life? my authority. If I'm not following Jesus as well as he would expect, what needs to change? Number two, we need to ask, am I being changed by Jesus? Am I growing in the character of him, in the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, the law has no effect. That is the Spirit of Christ. Have I grown a lot? Have I grown a lot since starting my journey with him? Or have I not progressed very far? Worse yet, have I lost ground? Am I returning to my pre-Christian ways? And finally, number three, we need to ask, am I committed to Jesus? 
Am I committed to his mission to save people? Am I conscious on a daily basis of the lost people around me and how God might use me to connect with them? Am I doing what I can on a daily basis to to plant seeds of faith in others or or build relationship bridges where the sharing of lives and the sharing of the gospel can take place? How can I have a greater burden for lost souls? How can I be preparing to, to more effectively share my faith and his word? We need to ask ourselves those questions. And I'm praying, I'm praying that all of us disciples of Christ will be blessed by taking to heart these basics of discipleship. These are the basics. This is where we ought to be starting. It is important that we have this foundation of understanding about what discipleship is and and the cost of it. There is no way to expect that we will be true followers of Christ who are able to accomplish his mission if we are not building on the right foundation. As we learned last week, being a disciple of Jesus is more than church membership and church attendance. It is a relationship between the teacher and the student, between the master and the apprentice. And hopefully, today's lesson, we understand that the call of discipleship is to follow him to be changed by him, and to be engaged in that mission of Jesus. And Lord willing, if we are blessed with the time and the opportunity, we'll explore that cost of discipleship and what that really is. I hope you can join me uh, on that. I've been, I enjoy doing these. I hope they're edifying and encouraging to you. I'm so thankful to the other ministers who have uh, developed th- this, this line of thought that I'm working on. I, I'm uh, I'm a simple man. I, I don't think of uh, all the great things that I've put out there. They're from so many others who have given them to me, like Guy Orbison Jr., a fellow named David Owens, and, uh, and others who have uh, Jeff Strait. I've borrowed uh, illustrations from and whatnot, and so I, I always want to give recognition to them for that. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for listening. I, I pray for you always. Please go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. Click on the radio mic. You'll find this episode, all the previous ones. I hope you can do that. Take care, and may you always be safe at this difficult time. Good day. Sending up to sweep away till shut on the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.